Okay. Uh, all right, is everybody here? If anybody can hear me, I'd like to see if, if you could uh, send me a couple of thumbs up emojis. That would be great. Okay, there we go. So I've had some technical problems before. Uh, thanks to everybody for coming out on a Sunday. I uh, apologize for doing it, doing this today. Uh, tried to wedge it in before the important uh, football moments and some other things. Um, but uh, I've got a long day tomorrow. I figured I wouldn't get to it otherwise. So I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the Dick Cheney uh, story that I published um, uh, earlier this week, I guess on Friday. Uh, it's really about two topics. One is about uh, the coverage of the uh, anniversary of January 6th and the, um, the my continu- continued frustration with the use of the word coup in, in referring to that uh, event. And then the secondary thing being... Um, the appearance of Dick Cheney uh, at, at the uh, moment of silence that the uh, House Democrats held, and um, and the fact that he received what the Washington Post called a warm welcome from people like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi, and, and there's really two two things I want to talk about um, here. I, the you know the diff, the big theme in a lot of what I've done in journalism over the years, one of the big themes is, is the difference between institutional behavior and in individual behavior. And in the press, we we are set up to cover individuals because people can connect with individuals, they understand them, they, they have strong feelings about personalities like Donald Trump, whereas the much more important uh, you know, aspects of what's corrupt about this or that system almost always, um, you know, involve institutional behavior, things that you can't see, uh, rules that we never hear about, things that transcend party, things that transcend the individual. Uh, and this is why we don't know a whole lot. The public doesn't doesn't know a whole lot about uh, for instance, military contracting or um, the Federal Reserve's bond buying program or what, whatever it is, because there's no there's no person attached to that kind of stuff. And Dick Cheney was, he, for me, he was like the shining example of a person who understood the possibilities of institutional corruption in the United States. And and in his time as vice president, he. He did so many extraordinary things to undermine just just basic principles of what we used to think of as being um, fundamental to the American experience. Whether it was, you know, the prohibition against torture, uh, to you know mass surveillance, you know, the the rule against unreasonable searches and seizures, uh, the laws against assassination, like so many of the things that. Um, we supposedly overturned after the church committee hearings in the 70s. Cheney essentially went and he built these new institutions. And very cleverly, what he did is he, he, just, he just sort of created new types of government facilities that were just not subject to traditional oversight. And so, for instance, if you want to legally challenge the assassination program, or if you want to challenge the no-fly list, or if you want to challenge, um, you know, 
the rendition program. There's no way to do it. You, you, if you, I, I've I've been in court and watched lawyers try, and they continually fail. Usually, the the uh, the government lawyer relies on something called political question, uh, where the argument to the judge is that this is. This is not something to be settled in courts. This is a this is this is something that to be set, to be settled at the policy level, uh, or there's a catch twenty two where an individual complainant can't find out, can't have a, a a cause to question whether or not they're on a no fly list or a kill list or whatever it is because they can't access any proof that they that they're on those lists. So. Um, Cheney was amazing. He he did so many things, and I listed them all in the piece that that were like revolutionary in terms of undermining democracy. But he was quiet about it uh, for the most part. Was not a self an attention seeker, and he was much less of a personality than Donald Trump. And so, in the public imagination, Trump is is the fascist. He's the the great danger to democracy. Whereas. For me, Cheney did all this stuff from the inside, and and the, it's it's not even a comparison to me. Um, that's and then just quickly, uh, you know, there may be some people who have questions about, you know, was it really a coup? Well, maybe not that day, but the larger effort to overturn the result of the twenty twenty election may constitute a coup on some level. Um, we can have that discussion, but I, there's a reason why I've never done an election fraud story in my life. It's because I hate them, and I, I think that the people who are arguing for election fraud, um, it's just incredibly difficult to prove. I, 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 the only time I've ever had to go near one was in the Iowa caucus in, in um, the 2020 primaries, and um, it's, it, it's very thorny. Uh, I think the case that I still think the case that it was an actual coup that day is incredibly thin because that's not how people really behave in a coup. Anyway, let's just talk about it. So let's see who's let's see who's up first. I think I think Steve uh, is the first person in line. Uh, hang on a second. All right, are you there? No. Why is Greg, are you there? Or Steve? Greg, you have to unmute yourself if you're there. I all right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got two people here. Let's let's start with let's start with Greg. I'm sorry, that was on me. But uh, Steve, if it's okay, I'm going to start with Greg, and then we'll move to you if, if that's all right. Or, that's fine. Or, or maybe we can all three of us talk about it. But let's let's see what Greg has to say. Uh, I I didn't realize that uh, by by just showing up, I was in line to speak. But as long as I got the mic, uh, how do you try to explain to people? Uh, there's a barrier when you try to explain what happened during the G.W. Bush years that when you compare them to what Trump's done, you need to, oh, you're, you're a Trump defender, right? Yeah, that is incredibly frustrating. I, I, look, it's, I think it's the experience of every journalist who, who had any reservations about any of the stories about Trump um, that came out. You know, it's a begin, beginning with the Russia thing. Um, 
there were there were a lot of people who who couldn't stand Trump. I mean, look, I I wrote a book about Trump called Insane Clown President. I'm like, I'm not a fan of the guy. Uh, And, you know, I grew up reading Spy Magazine where he was sort of this, the central comic villain of, uh, of, of that publication. And so I, I, I have no affinity toward this person whatsoever, but the, you know, the reflexive, um, criticism of anybody who who questions any of these stories is to accuse you of being a a trump supporter and because that's such a toxic thing to be in this environment there are a lot of people who just won't go near these stories and i think that's um i think that's 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 a really low uh and intellectually dishonest way of going about things uh and i there are there are a lot of I've, i've lost a significant number of friends in the business Let's just say over the last five years, over that I- exact issue, um, you know, because because they say you, you, you questioning this is equivalent to helping Donald Trump, and I just don't see it that way. I I, I think you know if he if he's as bad as you say, then the truth is not going to hurt. Uh, it's not going to help. So anyway, uh, but thanks for th- thanks for that question. I appreciate it. Um, uh, but hang on, let's just see what let's let's see what Steve has to say. Steve, are you there? Um, yes. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Good. Um, I think both parties are hell bent on autocracy. Different forms of it. Mm-hmm. I think that I concur with you that the Democrats are more dangerous because they're potentially more competent at it. Uh, I want to thank you for writing Griftopia, which <laughs> I think should be required reading now for every American. Right. I think you, sa- I think you saved me a shitload of money as an investor. Because <laughs> I read that book around really? the time I retired, um, and I think you're a national treasure. Oh, well, Having thank you. Said that everyone I know, and I know mostly academic lawyers, those kind of people, um, think uh, uh, that uh, Trump is a threat. Biden and his crew are not a threat. Uh, those that share my skepticism regarding the Democrat-centrist establishment, uh, see the choice as binary, and therefore mad at me for voting third party. Right. Uh, Do you think there's any hope with Yang? I mean, he's got the charisma of a turnip, but at least he's trying (laughs) to do something to get us out of a binary choice between corrupt rascals. Uh, that's That's a really good question, and um... I saw my friend uh, Lee Fong the other day was talking about how, you know, the winner take all system in our in our country, uh, really, it really discourages the kind of cooperation and, um, you know, it it pushes people toward an extremist uh, mindset, uh, and and it also allows for that for that phony argument that we were that we that. Uh, that Greg talked about at the beginning, which is, oh well, if you're helping, if you're if you're not endorsing this story, then you're helping, you know, person X, right? Or you're helping Trump. Um, you know, I, I've I've lived in a country that had more of a proportional representation type system. I, I wish we had something like that. I do think a third party would be successful in this country. I mean, if you if you had stuck Andrew Yang in as as a candidate in 
um, where the other choices were Donald Trump and Joe Biden, uh, you know, I probably would have made a bet on, on Yang at the beginning. I mean, it would have been tough, but, um, but you know, these are bad choices. The, 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 the two choices that we have are not good choices because I, as you, as you point out, um, at least in my mind, I, I think it's been demonstrated in the last five years that, uh, you know, neither party is particularly committed to, uh, you know, the rule of law or respecting other points of view. Uh, but I think the Demo- as you say, I think the Democrats are worse. I mean, I like, and and the the threat for me is very real, and it, and it, and it gets back to what I was talking about uh, talking about at the beginning, which is this whole idea of like institutional threats versus individual threats. I mean, we if, if you talk about the people. Uh, who stormed the Capitol last year, what institutions in America do those people control? I mean, like, does any, do, you, do you have an answer for that question? I mean, there's a lot of those people, but they're, they don't, they're not running the Fed, they're not running the intelligence agencies, they're not running um, you know, the, the army, they're not running uh, you know, uh, they're they're not culturally they're they're not ascendant right so you don't you don't see them running well they've been moving the country to uh increasing income inequality ever since dick nixon's second term when they began succeeding um that's i don't think it's a conspiracy theory to say that in the 70s uh david rockefeller got uh, a bunch of the wealthiest people in the world together to uh to change the course of uh U.S. and world politics and uh, succeeded. And since Nixon's second term, 100% plus of the increase in productivity in the U.S. has gone to the investor managerial professional class. I've benefited from it personally. Yeah, I think it's bad. No, I agree agree with you. I just think that, that there's been a dramatic switch in in who those people support, where, like, where they're political. Right. Uh, yeah, right. you know what I mean? Now, like, now they're Democrats. They're I mean, Democrats, so they're, 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 right. They controlled Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter did a lot to increase economic uh, inequality on an institutional level. Right. And so has every president since, including Obama. Right, right. And and, and frankly, so did so did Donald Trump. Uh, you know, you even, bet. You bet. And... and and which which goes to show the strength of the overall system and uh but yeah i, I mean I, I i just think it's for 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 me what you're talking about um as opposed to the whole idea that these great masses of mostly middle to lower class trump supporters i mean there are some people who aren't who probably would would be wouldn't qualify under that designation but that that's very different from you know the they're not the same people who are going to davos every year let's just put it that way you know i mean it's it's a different set of people if that does that make sense or i don't know yeah yeah well i I guess uh trump's involved with a lot of eastern european money people that's true that's true shut out at the uh, western european american and japanese money people right Um, right Another subject, I, I, if, while I've got you, I would like to raise, uh, and that is uh, the U.S. opiate policy. Here in Colorado, where I live, 
the politicians have skillfully literally doubled the number of dead addicts per year in two years by cutting off the supply of pharmaceutical-grade opioids to, among other people's pain patients who need them. Hmm. And they've created a fentanyl problem, basically, which now the same people are going to solve with the same approach. Anybody who's concerned about government insanity, literally killing addicts and torturing innocent pain patients, pay attention to that problem. Matt, you should. Everybody should. Yeah, it's, it's scandalous. Here in Colorado, a doctor who was employed by the Collegium Pharmaceutical Company was the one who was essentially writing the legislation. Huh. And they, they, they produce alternatives to uh, opioids. Wow. Uh, what's what's uh, the name of the uh, of that doctor, just so I can... Clapp. C-L-A-P-P, Jonathan Clapp. Uh, if I knew how to do it, I would say... I've actually no, that's prepared. all right. I'll, I'll look it up. I actually decided to go into journalism and write up the story of Colorado. Oh, my God. I'm so, sorry. Colorado's approach to, uh, to pain treatment and opioids because it's so insane and so incredibly destructive. And well, I'm old, so I know people who are suffering from it. I'm a luck bucket, but, God, everybody I know has pain. Well, uh, definitely definitely send me any materials you have on that at uh, taibi at substack.com. As some of you might know, I'm writing a book now about basically how everybody got ripped off during the pandemic, and there's a big chapter on pharma. So um, that's that's an area I don't know a whole lot about yet, though, so I would love, love to hear more on that subject. Uh, I'll send you my draft to today. And again, I think you're a national treasure and everybody should read Griftopia, especially <laughs> if they want to keep their money. <laughs> well, I don't Seriously. know. I don't know if I... Well, we'll, we'll see. But thank, thank, thanks for the compliment. And I, I really appreciate it. I think it's a great piece of journalism. You know, right. I'm just fabulous. Okay, I'll let you alone right. now and talk to somebody else. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve. Let's see thanks who else there. we got here. Uh, I think it's Zavi. Uh, are you there? No? Zabi? Yes. Chabi. 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 Yes. Sorry about that. Ah, no worries. I'm calling from Amsterdam. Excellent. Far away. Uh, yeah, also a giant fan of you. Oh, um, thank you. Yes. Excellent. Amsterdam. Well, gonna, yeah, yeah, Netherlands. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. I had a question about the peace and Dick Cheney versus Donald Trump as authoritarians. Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't Cheney just reflecting the wider political establishment? Well, yes, and yeah, but yes, and, and also no. So, so the surprising thing about what happened last week and what's been happening in the last five years is that um, when you know when Cheney first came on the scene, a lot of what he was doing was kind of a surprise. Like uh, people probably don't remember this, but George Bush, when he ran for president, like well, one of one of his um, what, one of his selling points, uh, as opposed to to Al Gore, was that he you know a, a George W. Bush presidency was not going to be a world policeman, right? Like they were, they were going to be more isolationist than the Democrats were. Um, and Donald and 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 uh, Dick Cheney's particular vision of um, how to prosecute the 
the especially and build the intelligence services that didn't really come out until 9/11. Like he has a very unusual background. Uh, back in the early 80s, if you, um, he uh, under um, he had a relationship with former CIA director George H. W. Bush. Uh, who was the vice president back then and got involved with a whole bunch of sort of naval intelligence guys um, who ran, you know, a, a sort of a, a series of, uh, you know, they, they essentially built their own intelligence com- uh, capability out of the vice president's office. Um, but there, the people that he was working with didn't have this huge extra constitutional uh, vision that that suddenly popped out of uh, of Dick Cheney in 2001. This whole idea of um, let's assassinate people, let's whisk them off to secret prisons and torture them, let's have no congressional oversight, let's have mass surveillance, let's have the FBI sending out te- you know tens of thousands of national security letters where their recipients are barred from telling their customers that they've received them. Like that stuff is new. that that was new. That stuff. I mean, it, some of it harkens back to like the pre-church committee vision of the CIA. But um, and the Democrats were originally opposed to that. They like they ran against that with some with a lot of. Uh, uh, enthusiasm in in the 2000 to 2008 period. I mean, I remember I had I had a, did a story where I um, followed Bernie Sanders around when he was still in the House, uh, trying to get amendments passed. And one of the amendments he was trying to get passed was um, a prohibition against the government looking at your library records under the Patriot Act. And it, he was he had support uh, from Republicans, from Independents, from uh, from Democrats, certainly, uh, you know. So, the, so what's what's different is that all these people who endorse this, what you know, we thought of as back then as this neocon authoritarian vision of how to prosecute the war on terror, um, you know, suddenly now the the Democrats are supporting uh, that, and that's what's surprising. Like it's it's the way that that went from being a, a Republican thing to being a cross party thing that was no longer con- controversial. Does that make any sense? Um, it, it like maybe I'm being naive, but uh, it it seemed like there was a significant portion of the of of Democrats who were opposed to that stuff once upon a time. I don't know. I felt <laughs> like that. Until Obama was like, "Yeah, we tortured some folk." Right, exactly. We're not going to do anything about it, and then they went on to prosecute John Kiriakou. Like, I think he's the only one that went for to prison, right, for the torture. Torture. Stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, for leaking it. So, yeah, right. maybe I was being a cynic, but since that time, I felt like they were pretty much on board. They just couldn't sell it politically. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, look. Uh, I I was and I wrote this in a piece that I put out in September. I was totally hoodwinked by the Obama phenomenon. Like, me too. M- remember the whole he was a constitutional lawyer, right? And he and so one of the things that was made him so attractive to people like me was that theoretically he understood ex- exactly how horrifying a lot of these 
these new developments were and you know some of his promises like oh we're going to shut down the Guantanamo Bay prison um, you know I, I believe that stuff and boy did, boy did he make a fool out of me right like you know you know it, tur- it, it turns out that not only did they not did they not shut down that system but you know they vastly expanded the the um, executive assassination program they started that whole terror Tuesdays ritual where they where they met every Tuesday to decide who they were gonna drone to death that week, um, and, and they were you know that stuff was ghoulish. So I guess you're right. I, I, I guess it's just the American political establishment. But but um, but for it to be so open, I, I, I guess I guess that's the part that that freaks that freaks me out a little bit is 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 the way that. Yeah, let's parade it in front of everybody. Like, there's no longer any big difference between Dick Cheney and, and you know, um, uh, the Democrats because, you know, Trump's arrived and he's the big bad threat that we have to really worry about. Like, it, it's just so unconvincing. Um, but I guess maybe I was being naive, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I don't well, know. Like, I think Obama was very convincing. So being convinced by him, I think it's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's just normal. But for me, what is shocking is that it's, like, indeed very open now. Like, I remember, I think, when they killed, like, uh, Anwar Al-Awlaki's Al- son. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, his son. Yep. Like, one of the guys was like, yeah, he should have had the more responsible father. So that's... <laughs> That's like also really ghoulish, and you said it in public. So they're assassinating a U.S. citizen with no like trial, not even charged for anything, just because his father. Yeah, no, I know. I, I um, but you would not see that on CNN, right? Like that's just. But now all this stuff is on TV, and it's like uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I I um, I guess about three years ago. Maybe I covered the story of this guy named Bilal Abdul Karim, who was a uh, who was an American um, from. I'm trying to remember where it's from. Someplace like Scarsdale. It's like just north of the city in New York. He was a stand-up comic, um, black guy. He he was a huge admirer of Richard Pryor and Flip Wilson, uh, and he. It's a long story. He eventually became kind of radicalized and uh, went overseas, became devout Muslim, and went through a series of uh, drone attacks. He he, sur- he claims he survived five different drone, drone attacks, uh, and he sued the United States government um, to find out whether or not he was on the kill list. And um, and I went to the court case where the his his lawyers argued with the government lawyers over whether or not he had a right to find out if he was on the kill list and the government's pr- position was no um if indeed he's been targeted for lethal action um that's you know that's not a matter for this court and there were two things that were amazing about that. One is that there was only one other reporter there. um, And that was the Washington Post reporter who did a pretty good job on the story, I thought. Uh, But, you know, back in the, back in the Bush era, the the courthouse would have been packed. 
uh, and now nobody cared anymore. And the second thing is that people just don't recognize the the import of what this kind of decision means. Like, they're talking about assassinating a U.S. citizen without due process. And the argument that they've been making about this is that, well, there is a due process, it just doesn't involve the the person anymore. <laughs> uh, and that's that's like insanity. That's like completely opposite to the whole conception of what constitutional law is all about. And that's that's now mainstream um, American thought, and uh, it's just it's just shocking to me that nobody freaks out about that more. But um, but yeah, that's a good question. Uh, maybe I'm just being naive. Uh, but uh, anyway, thanks for calling in from from Amsterdam. I appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you. All right, all right. Bye. take care. All right, let's move on to uh, to Carl. Hey, Matt. Hey, Carl, how's it going? Good, good. Good to talk to you. Love Absolutely. This, uh, app. Yeah, this is fun. It is. Uh, I got to tell you, this Cheney thing is kind of blowing my mind. Uh, I mean, it, Cheney has always made me think of Darth Vader like a very <laughs> visceral sense. And if, if you tried to pick the human embodiment of the military-industrial kind of war profiteering, oil money you know, uh, private military services money. I mean, that's Dick Cheney. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and everything that I remember hating about the Bush administration, for those of us who remember the Bush administration, like, is that guy plus the sort of phony tough guy, they're going to hit us again rhetoric combined with like six deferments during the Vietnam War. Like, <laughs> is there anything to like about Dick Cheney? <laughs> no, of course I mean, I don't think so. Uh, he's. I think the one thing you can say about him is that he's not. He's not stupid, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the, but yeah. that actually makes him worse, you know, in a right. way. And and, th- and that's that's kind of what I was trying to point out in this in this piece is that um, you know what made what made uh, Cheney so dangerous is that he he had a, a really intimate understanding of how the american government worked he had served in all these different capacities he had been secretary of defense he'd been in in congress he knew in and out what the pitfalls were um in trying to get some of these these things passed and you know that's exactly what donald trump didn't have he didn't have a person who understood how how government works and he and when he did try to bring people like that in he immediately alienated them which to me, was what made him, you know, not worrisome um, or not and as that, worrisome. Right, because people always say, well, God, you know, if Trump was smarter and more disciplined. He might be an actual fascist, uh, you know, as opposed to Dick Cheney, who checks a lot more of the fascist boxes. Exactly. Uh, but uh, it's almost as though Cheney's insider status is more important, uh, you know, versus Trump's outsider status than any actual policies that he implemented or beliefs that he might, you know, the insiders are good, even if they torture people and outsiders are bad. I mean, it's making me, it's making me rethink Nixon, the kind of treatment that Cheney is getting. Like, <laughs> is, what, is everything, is everything I read about that guy wrong too? Just because he was an outsider. I, I know that sounds insane, but that's the level of like crazy that seeing Dick Cheney hanging out at the Capitol on the six drives. That's what that drives my brain. I mean, 
I, I, I don't think that's an illogical thought. Like, you know, Nick Nixon... I mean, Nixon was both an insider and an outsider, but one of the problems that he had is that he he didn't trust Hoover. He didn't trust, or he didn't get along with him. He wasn't he wasn't subordinate uh, as every other president had been, and he didn't particularly get along with the uh, intelligence agencies. And he tried to build his own intelligence capability, and I think that was one of the things um, that got him in trouble. Uh, in in addition to the fact that he had he had done clearly wrong things, right? I mean, like I think, right? Yeah, but but yeah, no. The the, the why, why does why does Nixon get uh, get in so much trouble when there are lots of other parties that the they broke into? The Socialist Workers Party also had you know uh, agents bugging them and and you know doing dirty tricks to make sure that they don't succeed and be Ill, and sticking in um you know informants and that sort of thing that's an interesting question i have to think about that one a little bit more but yeah it, it, the 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 rehabilitation of dick, Ch- dick cheney makes me rethink an awful lot of things about about um i don't know i mean is that is that sort of where your where your head is at with this well, I, it's in two places. You know, one of them is, I think, I, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Sort of Watergate was like the standard of, of political corruption. And, you know, we rooted, we rooted all, all, all that out, the church committee and everything else. You know, and then you compare, uh, you know, this break in and cover up to like the Iraq war. Oh, it's yeah. kind of hard. You know, it's kind of hard to put those on two sides of a scale. You know, so that's just comparing the crimes I would say crimes of the Iraq war to anything Trump or Nixon did. Right. The Iraq war is really, 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 really a bad uh, foreign and domestic policy thing on so many levels in the post 9-11 response and everything else. Like, it's really hard for me to say that Nixon or Trump is worse than the Bush-Cheney administration. Uh, So that's one place my brain is going for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, uh, you know, detention without trial, right? Like, oh god, yeah, uh, awful I mean, stuff. Yeah, I mean, ass- assassination. You know, I mean, do you remember the Jose Padilla case? Yeah, the shoe bomber. No, 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 no. He was the that's rich. That's Richard. Uh, oh, what's, right, right, right. No, yeah. Ho- Jose Padilla was this other guy who I I, f- I forget even what he had done, but he was an American citizen in America. And they just whisked him away to a, a like a naval air force or a naval base somewhere. Um, there was no charge. There was no process. And so this was this is like a precursor to the Al-Awlaki thing. It was like, um, you know, we're, we we're asserting the right to just take American citizens in the United States and whisk them away into a separate justice system <laughs> that is not yeah. not subject to any of the rules and that that just seems so crazy at the time to me and and now all of a sudden it's like well well Donald Trump is more of a pig so um yeah let's let's just not worry about any of that stuff yeah I, it makes it makes me crazy to remember you know the, the the international regime of the enemy combatant and renditions and all this um, right i mean it, it, it's if you lived through that 
Uh, and you just recall looking at it and being like, this is the United States doing this? Like, it, it's hard to forget that. But uh, the other thing that I'm seeing, and I really want to get your opinion on this and I'll let somebody else talk, mm-hmm. is that uh, and last time you were talking about education. And mm-hmm. the first time I heard somebody say, you know, you're basically you're either racist or you're anti-racist. You're either for us or you're against us. It was literally like you're for us or you're against us. And I remember that Bush speech. You know, you're right. with us, you're against us, you're with us, you're with the terrorists. And I feel like ever since then, I've sort of seen like the recent Democrats is like the post 9-11 right is now like the post-Trump left. You know, you're for us or you're against us. We suddenly really like the national security state. Uh, anybody who's not on our side is literally a terrorist. Right. Um, I'm at, so that's the last thing I'll say because I know a lot of people want to talk. Is do you do you see that parallel of like post nine eleven Bush administration, like post Trump Biden administration embrace of you know binary good evil and if you're evil, we want you to go away kind of vibe. Yeah, that is a really that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, but that's there's a lot of truth in that, right? And, and that's and that's one of the, the a common thread is. You know, a lot of that original thinking was was dreamed up by David Frum, uh, yeah. you know, the author of the Axis of Evil speech, and this whole notion that um, you know a, a country that is not actively on our side, uh, we just can't we can't allow that risk. Uh, that that's just too big a risk to to have areas of the world that are not under our control. And this, this traces back to thinking that, you know, Bill Crystal talked about this uh, concept called benevolent hegemony in the, in the oh, late nineties. Yeah. Um, and this, yeah. And, and that was the basis of this whole, of the reason of, for, for going into Iraq, I think was part, partly to establish that doctrine of um, if you're not with us, you're against us. And you know, uh, we're going to make sure, but yeah, there, there's a lot of that that goes on now. And, and you know, the, the first caller, Greg, talked about how, um, you know, rhetorically, like if you're if you're not on board with with us, uh, or if you don't agree with some criticism of Donald Trump, then you must be on his side. You must be a Trump supporter. I mean, they threw that at everybody. They threw it at Tulsi Gabbard. They threw it at. Bernie Sanders, they threw it at Jill Stein, they threw it, uh, and what they're essentially saying is there's only two choices. You can only think one of two ways, and if you don't think our way, then you think the the bad way, and uh, we're not going to distinguish between, um, you know, a person who, you know, we call a white supremacist and a person who, you know, is we're going to call you white supremacist adjacent, right? Like that's, right. that's, that's going to be the new term. So it's, yeah, it's kind of scary. I think I, 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 I that's an interesting point, but that binary thinking is, is really creepy. Yeah. And making me think the old neocon, they started off as left and then they went right. Now they rediscovered the left. Hooray. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's so <laughs> true. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks Carl. I appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. Let's, uh, Thank you. yep. All right. Um, let's see. Banyan Boyd, I think is the name. Uh, are you there? Banyan, are you there? You gotta unmute yourself if that's you. 
No? Uh, how about John? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, John. How are you doing? Oh, hello? Hello? Tom, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think I just accidentally uh, zapped somebody. Uh, if that's John, I tell him. <laughs> I want to apologize to him. I don't, I don't, I don't. But anyway, yes, yes. How are you? How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, thank you for doing this show and this piece. I really enjoyed. Oh, uh, excellent! Thank you. So, right, W and Cheney are near and dear in my heart as you know the worst regime. I guess because I was in high school during their election and on campus during the re-election, but like this, I don't know, rehabilitation of the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. You share candy with Michelle Obama. Like, right. What are your thoughts about that? It seems intentional and flagrant. I have two thoughts on it. First being, it kind of normalizes this uh, reactionary push in the corporate dams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And right. what's the second thought? Mm-hmm. Second thought is that, um, you know, it's part of the process of making the next lesser evil, whoever that would be, right? Somebody running against Biden or something like that, seem more palatable because, right, the clear consensus 20 years ago was that Cheney and W are the worst guys ever. But now that we've completely rehabilitated them, it kind of opens space for the new guy or the new two candidates, because we only ever get two choices, to both be evil and that we're going to be screaming at each other over which one's less evil. Right, right. So we could get we could get somebody who's like sort of an ardent security state hawk and you know totally undemocratic in their instincts, but you know has has uh, respects to the the norms and all that and uh, and that person will seem more acceptable now. Is that the idea? I mean, basically, right? Because yeah. Obama and the hope and change was to get in and undo all the terrors of Cheney, which mm-hmm. you didn't do. You do that real quiet. You don't undo anything. Then you commit, you know, your own evils, which a couple of the callers and you have already talked about the bad stuff Obama did. Right now, Biden gets in on this mandate, this clear mandate that he loves, you know, cheesing on 81 million people voted for him instead of 81 million people voted for not Trump. It could have been a, a bag of dirt. Right. Um, so he's going to quietly not undo any of the stuff he promised to undo and then accelerate all these bad policies. So how much worse is the next guy going to be? And this all feels like part of that process. Yeah, that's a really that's really interesting. I I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. It, I, yeah, I think I think there's there's a psychological element to all this, which is that um <clears throat> you know, it you, you take a whole bunch of people who grew up, um, or at least remember the Bush years, because it's it's just uh, I keep uh, wondering to myself, where are those millions of people who who were marching against the war and could not possibly have had stronger feelings about the Bush administration? I mean, you must have been one of those people, right? I'm I'm, I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, right. right. We get pushed to the margin. The only you know major party that you would have any space for doesn't want anything to do with us, or will pretend to placate us and then serve their donors. But like, you just become numb to it. 
it's like every administration is taking us down another, you know, cycle of hell or a downward spiral turn. And it's kind of terrifying. And I, right. So, I mean, that was kind of my piece. I appreciate your time. I'm going to clear space for other callers. So that's cool with you. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, th- thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I think that the, the, the public, the kind of waving it in everybody's face, um, nature of, you know, everybody embracing everybody else, like, you know, Michelle Obama and, and George W. Bush and, uh, who was it? Ellen DeGeneres and Bush, and then um, and I, and I, I'm actually not one of those people who believes that you, you, you know, you have to forcibly never cross paths with some other person that with whom you have disagreements. But the the difference here is that uh, is this whole like um, affable. Uh, approach that everybody's taking with everybody else, it, and when they when they were supposedly once bitter enemies, and this re- this reminds me of a phenomenon that always drove me crazy in media, which is that um, you know when you when you uh, appear on a talk show uh, and you argue with somebody on the air over whatever uh, after the show on in the green room, they always want to be your pal. And that always freaked me out. Like, uh, you know, I, 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 a great example of this is that I, I once had an argument with um, uh, Bush's communications director, uh, Tony Snow, on real time. Uh, and it got really heated and it was unpleasant because I had pretty strong feelings about the Iraq war. I thought the whole thing was wrong, right? And he was he was arguing for it. And then afterwards in the green room, he like wants to have a drink and hang out, and it's like, no, I, I, I mean, like you're not my friend. I don't, I don't, I don't really think that way. And this, this whole thing where the, where this collegial uh, subculture of, of kind of Washington insiders that's kind of that's kind of being, um, I don't know, they're they're being very public about it after the appearance of Donald Trump. Uh, because I think they want to celebrate this idea that there's um, there are people who are are considered within the confines of, of normalcy, and then there are other people who just who will will never be allowed. You know, we're never going to shake hands with those people, um, and uh, and I think it tells you a lot about those folks that they you know they're fine with the dictators of the world, uh, and. And you know the rendition and torture and all those other things, um, as long as he can't really see it, you know. But Donald Trump, it, it, the, the worst things about Donald Trump, you can see in Donald Trump's person, right? So um, that's what they don't want to be associated with is like the, is the public ugliness, I think. But anyway, let's move on to the, to a couple more people. Uh, Chris, if you're there, uh, I think you're next. Hi. Chris? No? You unmuted yourself just in time, so I have a deep suspicion that you're actually there. Nope. Can't hear you. Uh, 
Alright, so you muted and unmuted yourself. I'm going to invite you to speak. Nope. Alright, let's move on to John then. John, are you there? John, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, so my question is, is not even related so much to this exactly, but I thought at one point that journalists were accountable for what they wrote. You said you grew up being worried about libel and things like that. Yeah. Has that, has that law changed, or how, how is it that uh, they're able to be so fast and loose with the truth now? I'll get off. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, no, the law, the law is the same. Uh, it, they kind of intentionally made it really hard to sue journalists in this country. So if you go back and look, look at the laws that govern the, the thing, the, the primary decisions that govern our behavior, it's, it's, it's rulings like uh, New York times v Sullivan from the early sixties. Um, you know, you have to, you have to show malice for it. In other words, they have to show that you knew you had a good idea that you were wrong, and you went and published it anyway. Um, but uh, or that you made you didn't make a good faith effort to check, or um, or a variety of other things. But I, I, what I think is different is this: is the mentality of being terrified of making a mistake, um, because that that was universal to gro- to journalists I grew up with. Like we 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 all the night before publication uh you never want to talk to anybody you were always afraid that you put if you put out a thing that had any original reporting at all in it um you you know the the fear was always you got something really bad that was wrong and you were going to get sued and that was going to be the end of your your career and that was that was like a real fear for people right like they worried about that uh the younger younger journalists I, i hang out with I don't hang out with a whole lot of them, but I've, I've interacted with. Um, they just have an entirely different set of concerns now because the the dynamic in the business is different. Like when when you make a mistake, the audiences are more forgiving, um, and your and your own publication may not even recognize it. it like the correction may only come out, uh, you know, in some rival publication uh, that your your audience never even hears about. So. I, I think this just has to do it's 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 less about the law changing and more about a uh, difference in attitude. Some of it has to do with the with the internet because like it's it's almost impo- impossible to sue somebody for like a tweet that's wrong or a libelous for instance. Um but but you know in print they can stick they can still get you for being wrong. You just have to be um you know, I, I just I think that the younger the, the, there's there's a generational difference there. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's just for two years on this Russia thing, they were just so blatantly wrong. Nobody checked anything. It just seems so. Uh, right, right, and, and there were the, the the problem with that is that it, it's when you're when you're wrong about an institution or when you're wrong about a fact that doesn't injure a person, um, it's pretty hard to sue somebody. You, you you have to concretely injure a human like like somebody who can sue, 
and they ha- and they have to be able to show damages, um, and so so, and a public figure doesn't get a lot of those protections. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 you can you can you can fire away as long as you you think you have a good faith basis, especially if everybody else is reporting it. Um, you know that that gives you in court automatic protection. Like oh, you know, the New York Times reported it. Um, and I and I saw it in the New York Times. Therefore, I, I you know I can say the same thing. Like that's good enough to to uh, allow you to survive most lawsuits. If that makes sense. So yeah, uh, it does. Right. But I mean, there's, you can apply it to even Loudoun County. All these different situations where they just get it so wrong. But yeah, absolutely. Like there's needs for correction somewhere. But okay, just wanted to ask you. Thanks. No, no, sure, no problem. All right, uh, a couple more. Let's go to uh, Ethan. I think. Are you there? Hello? Hello, Ethan. Hey, uh, so I kind of had a question about uh, the whole Cheney debacle and kind of a, a trend I've seen happening in the last few years where it almost feels like there's a new party starting to, starting to form, whereas mm-hmm. like you can draw kind of a circle around Cheney, Obama, Bush, uh, maybe even Nancy Pelosi were there. They're kind of buddy-buddy, and even though they disagree on certain things, they kind of all have that hawkish, uh, pro-capital sort of alignment. And then uh, opposite, you kind of have more of the Trumpian party now, or these new, or even like the old Tea Party Republicans. Um, So I was just kind of curious if you think that's just a temporary blip, or it could be a realignment like with the Republicans and Democrats kind of flipped, I don't know, about the 20s, 30s type era. Um, and then also, if there is time, maybe talk a little bit about um, the the question you asked about sort of where did the anti-war protesters go? And to me, it kind of seems like a lot of those people are now protesting against uh, racism or sexism, like the big women's march they had a couple years ago. Uh, they didn't really seem to do very much. And then, you know, the big anti-racism protests. I don't really see people protesting for... Uh, causes like anti-war and stuff it mostly seems like they're very ambiguous social causes nowadays yeah that's that that's a good point so on the first on the first question um it's interesting because uh right after uh trump got elected there were a couple of us uh in in the media who started and uh greenwell was actually a uh one of the first people to write about this, but there were a couple of other people at the Intercept also who started to notice um, that there was the significant crossover between people we used to think of as like the neoconservatives, uh, you know, the Bill Crystal types, uh, David Frums of the world. But if you go and look at like the board of directors of groups like the Atlantic Council and a lot of the a lot of the offshoots of the think tanks and institutions that um, that were most prominent in uh, in sort of prosecuting to the press uh, the idea that um, you know there had been Russian interference and that Trump was involved somehow that there there were already structures in place um, you know that that were 
you know, I think I think they were like the the backbone of this new party that you're talking about. They're they're essentially militaristic. Um, they're in. It's a it's a party of of Washington insiders who um, you know are proud of their status, and they're specifically not aligned with the uh, you know the populist trends uh, on either side. Right, so in in 2016 we saw this amazing phenomenon of, um, you know, Donald Donald Trump for all of his other other faults was clearly not a, a traditional Republican insider. He he was an unapproved candidate. He d- he did not win the so-called invisible primary. Um, he did not get uh, the party's approval uh, or its help. The major donors didn't go to him. They went to Jeb Bush instead, uh, and and he just he just eviscerated uh, the the field there um, with this new this new political movement that was not in alignment with um, you know the traditional parties. And then on the other side, we had the Sanders movement. Which wasn't as, as successful, but it was still significant. I mean, it won something like thirty-seven percent of the delegates uh, in the race that year. And what was left, I think, you, what you're what you're looking at is like the, you know, the the remaining smoldering wreck of whatever Trump had vanquished on the Republican side that was that did not then defect to Trump. Um, the kind of never Trump Republicans, uh, a lot of whom, as, the, as one of our former callers pointed out, had once a long time ago had been Democrats. Um, the, the neocons, you know, in the in the Kennedy years, started off as Democrats, and then they they kind of moved over to the Republican side in the '70s and '80s, and then and now they're I think they're going back. So yeah, there's it's basically like a. A, a single insider party um, is what I think they're building, you know, and 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 they and part of what this column was about um, for me was that I was trying to say like those people are scarier to me than than either of the other movements, uh, and tr- because they just don't have the, the you know Donald Trump for whatever for all his other. Foibles does not have the institutional authority, and these people do. Uh, if that makes sense. I'm sorry. What was the other? What was the second thing? Uh, the the second part was kind of uh, oh, the, the war- related uh, to the people kind of who used to be in the anti-war crowd who mm-hmm. are now kind of like you know tacitly cheering on Cheney. Like you know, I've just people I know in my personal life who are uh, fairly liberal and around, around my age, they kind of look at this Cheney thing as validation of their fears. And so they might be going out and protesting racism, but then they're lauding someone who kind of is like the arch example of the like white guy, America, etc. And then also these people are actually going out and protesting. So I'm kind of sitting here wondering, cause I'm, I'm on the younger side, like, are these people going to go back to protesting uh, anti-war causes in 10 years? Or are they going to be committed anti-racist for the rest of their life is this a new tr- I, you know I'm, I'm just not sure where this is going to lead yeah that's a good question and I, and I think it's part of like this really incredibly clever marketing campaign um, where uh, if you if you look at what happened during the um, 
during the Bush years, and then there was also this moment that I think is uh, underappreciated for some, which was when Obama beat Hillary Clinton in 2008. Uh, and that was kind of a wake-up call to the, to the Democratic Party uh, machinery because, um, you know, he, he essentially beat her by uh, tying her to the, the sort of political establishment that had... Um, you know, acceded to the war effort, had voted for the war, had not done anything to oppose, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, all the violations of civil liberties that, that, that Cheney instituted and that expand, you know, uh, but, but what they did, um, in response to that was say, well, we, we can't allow, like, uh, the, you know that kind of energy to get in the way, that political energy that 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 uh, got behind Barack Obama. We can't we we can't allow that to continue being um, uh, sort of unsupervised or out, out of pocket. And so what they did, I think, was extremely clever when Trump came on the scene, is they sort of reenlisted all the all of the people who were hardcore liberals or leftists and you know got them um you know got them into this place where they they said okay well donald trump is a fascist he's the ultimate uh example of what you're most afraid of and we we need to band together you need to get over your reservations about the security state about the fbi and the nsa uh, and all that other, that other stuff because we're now on your side and you need to start protesting um, you know this other thing and so I, I think they just very successfully co-opted all that political energy uh, and that's that's where all those people are now and, and, and as a result they're going to end up prote protesting basically whatever they're told by um you know, a combination of the news media and, you know, cert certain figures, certain political figures, if that makes sense. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Ethan, I really appreciate it. I'm going to do one more question, I, uh, if, if that's okay. Uh, and uh, thank thanks for asking. And, and um, I'm going to go back to John, who I think is the person who I accidentally zapped before. Uh, hang on a second. All right. Did, did, did I accidentally zap you before? Yeah, it's all good, man. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, just I, I've heard it said from the audience a few times, and i got to give you, I, I really appreciate individuals like yourself and Glenn that um, have kind of just stayed, stayed true in principle. Oh, um, thank you. Because that, that's meant a lot to me in this, in this day and age. I've heard people, you know, say a decent amount about what happened to those protesters, you know, I was, I was in a foxhole on 9-11 qualifying mm. on my M16. You know, I was, uh, shoot, I was 17 years old. <laughs> wow. And I, that, to see the, the, the propaganda just in training change, I had never heard anti-Muslim propaganda and things of that nature. A lot of that all of a sudden started coming out in training. 
And hmm. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, so I was very close to D.C. So, you know, we we had a lot of friends that, that we all went to anti-war protests. We were very anti-war, very anti-Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And and that's what kind of blows my mind. You know, now, look, I I, I voted for Trump twice. Now, I, I like to say that that's completely different than me actually supporting Trump. Uh, prior to that, I always did write-ins. Um, mm-hmm. I've, always, I've always been registered and as an independent. But then here comes this guy for me that that essentially was taking down the, the, the Clinton and the Bush dynasties. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know. For me, it's almost like an epic of Gilgamesh moment. Like, all right, <laughs> t- tear him apart then. Now, maybe maybe that was irresponsible of me to, to think that way. I don't know. But what what's crazy for me is, is, is you know, as you're talking about Cheney and 1-6, you know, when j- just the, the language that's being used, like coup, insurrection, things of that nature. And I'm a pretty well-read guy. And and um, yeah, it makes me think of, of there's an individual, Ed, Edward Lutwuck, who wrote the, oh, the I know him. handbook, right? And, mm-hmm. and he's went on and talked about this many times that, no, this doesn't classify anywhere near a coup, you know, and explains all his reasons why. Um, and then I hear people like like that whole PNAC crowd, the crystals, and, 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 and it, pretty much everybody that's studied under the, the Waltstetters, right? With, right? with anything that has to do with Pearl Harbor. And to even hear them mention that when that is exactly what they were saying they wanted prior to 9-11. And I'm not going conspiratorial with that. I'm just saying these people were obsessed with Pearl Harbor and the concept of garnering, you know, American support behind something. Right. Right. And and, and here they are then comparing support of the population. Yes. Like using this as far as as one six. And it puts me in this odd place. I'm thinking never like what the hell are Democrats? what the hell are Democrats and these people gushing over, I like to call them Darth Dick, but, you know, and the Bill Crystals of the world, like people actually are taking, liberals are taking the Bill Crystals of the world, you know, at, at face value as being good people. I just, I I don't understand the world we're living in these days, I guess. So it's not as much a question, Matt, as it's just, you know, I, I don't understand everything that I thought, <laughs> you know, everything that I thought you're you're fighting against um, um, you know, these interests that are corrupt, you know, I don't know. I guess I could sum it up. Time magazine did that piece that was the best, right. To where they're essentially gloating. It's as if the intel intelligence apparatus rose up against a, a guy being Trump that, look, I'll even admit is a douche, you know? Sure. <laughs> but, but now everybody's cheering on the intelligence apparatus. And then I see people like yourself that are just standing true in principle so I, I, it's more of a compliment than anything else because I, I, I find myself without words these days. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be thinking anymore as far as the direction we're going. Right. So I'll, right. No, I'll, th- I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. No. Th- 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 uh, thank you for. Um, yeah. Th- thank you for, for saying all those things. Uh, that's really that's really kind. First of all, but um, but I don't think it's that. I mean, I don't even think it's that difficult. I mean. The th- the thing that's so striking to me about this Cheney thing, and then you know comparing the experience that we're dealing with now to the issues that we were thinking about during the Bush years. Uh, I mean, for instance, the torture issue. Like, you know, as as an American, I mean, I, I was I was uh, in my earlier years. Um, in my 20s, I, I spent in the former Soviet Union, and 
um, people were desperate to meet me because I had a blue passport, because a blue passport represented something to the people of the former Soviet Union that they they had no experience with, which is this idea that, that people had rights, um, that the law meant something. Now, we may have been naive about that, but torture was such so such so totally an anathema to what I thought the United States was all about. And the idea that we even had to debate it was extraordinary. Um, and then the fact that we then went and implemented it, and then the, the, secondarily, that there was really no way to challenge it. I think that was the thing that was um, that was kind of freaky to me as a reporter. I was kind of slow to pick up on on how sophisticated a lot of this machinery was. But then we start hearing about things like the rendition program, you know, the 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 drone program is now kind of you know uh, there's no oversight of it because a lot of the dr the drone bases are not run by the military they're run by the CIA and CIA has secret budgets so we don't know how even members of congress don't know how many of those things are are out there and um and you know for for for, for me i i think these are all these are all no-brainer questions for like what, uh, you know, somebody who grew up watching Schoolhouse Rock would would care about. Like, we shouldn't be assassinating people. Um, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be torturing people. We 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 should be really trying to advertise ourselves as as you know defenders of rights around the world. And and during the Bush years is, is when all of that collapsed. You know, right? And and. And now all of a sudden they're they're trying to sell us on this idea that oh well forget about all that, um, you know now now what you really need to worry about is how big all the threats are, and they keep they keep changing them on us. First it was Russian interference, then it was um, then it was domestic terrorism, then it was a pandemic. Now it's back to domestic domestic terrorism again or whatever it is, and. Um, you know, I'm well, sorry. Yeah. And, and Matt, that, see, that's what's very scary for me is because I hear this neocon kind of PNAC talking points now now talked about the act like Amer our fellow Americans. And I'm right. thinking that structure you built up like as as, you know, as out of control or whatever that that, you know, what happened on one system thinking, are, are you really starting to, to kind of leverage your position towards Americans now? I right. Mean, and that's scary for me, you know, regardless, because I think the pendulum swings and people on the left that that might have this this view of people on the right. What do you what happens when that power shifts and that same, you know, kind of power that, that we're that we're going to give the government now towards American citizens, you know, turns on you? I mean, that's what scares me. Yeah, absolutely. And and that and you know, that, that was that was the point of what I was trying to write about. I think I think people just don't think enough about what what that means. I mean, the, during the Bush years, we went to a great deal of trouble to, to create these bureaucratic structures that not only were not subject to oversight, but also um, had this new vision of uh, how to treat people who lived in other countries. In other words, you know, the whole idea of defining people as enemy combatants, that was a pretty radical and, and, brilliant idea uh like let's go to war but let's no longer subscribe to any of the the treaties that we signed about how to treat people in war because 
the type of people we're dealing with are so bad um, that they don't have any rights. Uh, and so, and people, they, people went for that, you know, and, and now, so, uh, I, I guess I think a lot of people thought, well, that could never happen at home. Well, it already started to happen at home. And I think that, again, that's, that's part of what I was trying to say is, you know, when we saw whether it was the Jose Padilla case or the Al-Alaki case or the, the Bilal Karim case or whatever it was, like they've already established that they can that they've this machinery that they built that's completely just extra constitutional that it, they already think it applies to people in this country um and you know the the mass surveillance program showed that they were routinely listening to to people in this country without you know judicial oversight of of any real kind you know um and so are they going to start thinking about people in the you know in this country in the same way they think about the, the the citizens of i don't know iraq afghanistan niger or whatever like i i think i think we're moving in that direction and that should freak people out and it doesn't i, I just don't get it you know um matt i no, i'm right there with it look it, it, again it's it's been an honor sir i appreciate it all right. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Anyway, on that depressing note, unfortunately, folks, I got I got to run. Uh, I'm on, I'm on daddy duty, but uh, but thanks so much for coming out on a uh, on a Sunday uh, afternoon, and um, I will put this up uh, shortly. And uh, and if you have any comments or uh, questions, uh, you can either email me at taibi.substack.com or leave comments on the site. And um, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Thanks very much. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk again.